0: Welcome to Friday Bites, a new series where Academy Magazine rejects the normative and embraces the unconventional. Through this series of talks, we hope to drown out the din and engage with people who are approaching our current political and cultural moment with a unique and critical perspective. For this episode, Academy Mag interviewed Swati Shivanand from Hate Speech Beta, a collective that works to combat hate speech produced by sections of the Indian press and media. The collective recently published an intensive report titled Wages of Hate – Journalism in Dark Times, which documents and analyzes the pattern of anti-minority speech in Canada media. It locates such sensational news coverage with the proliferation of corporate-run media outlets that have rendered journalism largely incapable of dissenting from vested economic interests. The report also states that upper caste domination in Indian media houses heavily contributes to the production of hate speech. It argues that for democracy to flourish, we need robust, independent media platforms which can function outside of corporate and political control. The report primarily looks at Canada news coverage of COVID-19 and the CA and RC protests. You can read the report on Hate Speech Beta's WordPress blog. Also, consider donating to the collective as it moves towards translating the report for and disseminating it to larger audiences. You can message them for more information on how to donate.
1: So we're from uh, uh, Hate Speech Beta, our campaign against hate speech, and we're a collective of um, comprising lawyers, uh, professionals, students, academics, and uh, researchers. Um, So we came together... um, to talk about uh, media co- uh, to discuss and uh, work on um, looking at media coverage in um, during the anti ca protests and um, we were specifically concerned about the ways in which um, hate speech was spewed against uh, activists who were being arrested um, and uh, those who are protesting particularly Muslim protesters so uh, we began our work um, in uh, trying to activate uh, institutions um, um, media monitoring authorities and regulatory authorities um, to uh, ensure that you know some amount of um, um, some amount of uh, authorities exerted in terms of regulating the kind of um, media coverage of anti-CA protests. Um, And then the lockdown happened and the Tablighi Jamaat cluster emerged as an issue. And um, so then we, uh, so we also expanded our work to look at the kind of um, uh, much more intense and escalated hate speech that happened uh, during the Tablighi Jamaat coverage. So as part from the collective we've been filing um, complaints with the uh, media monitoring authorities here in Karnataka and um, with uh, the uh, self-regulatory bodies that um, both TV and print media are part of, such as Press Council of India, as well as the uh, National Broadcasting uh, News Broadcasting Standards Authority. So um, that's what we've been uh, doing as part of the collective. We've also been trying to um, uh, cultivate a presence on social media as well to, um, to uh, counter the kind of hate speech that happens on social media as well. Um, and um, one of the major outputs recently has been the, the Wages of Hate, um, Journalism in Dark Times, which um, basically tracks the coverage of anti ca protests and, um, and uh, the Tablighi Jamaat cluster in Kannada media specifically. So and looks at how we can define hate speech and, um, uh, and how that's different from freedom of speech.
0: Yeah, the report looks amazing. It's very in-depth. Um, so before we get into the actual report, I just want to ask you, um, what, is, what was your personal uh, reason to get involved with this um, project? What did, what did you see as the value behind it?
1: Um, so uh, one of the uh, things about um, uh, uh, about uh, hate speech is that uh, it's something that um, affects all of us, and uh, we've all seen it happen uh, within family groups, especially upper caste, upper class um, uh, groups, uh, WhatsApp groups. Uh, we've uh, all been lamenting about how um, how. Uh, very virulent and uh, anti-Muslim anti-minority propaganda happens in uh, family uh, WhatsApp groups of upper caste, upper upper-class uh, Hindu families. So uh, it's something that we've all encountered when it uh, begins to uh, sort of, um, you know. Uh, be disseminated through things that are news reports or news articles, then it becomes, then it's a clear um, escalation and intensification of anti-minority sentiment. So for me, it was both, um, both being able to uh, respond to the kind, of, um, okay, or the kind of anti-minority sentiments that happen in family WhatsApp groups, uh, but also to be able to uh, demand some kind of ethical, responsible journalism, and I was—I'd um, been a journalist before as well. So it—it um, it was ha- disheartening for me to um, to see that uh, this is what has happened out of uh, this a profession that's very close to my heart.
0: Okay, so the report is is extremely intensive in its analysis, and it's um, it primarily focuses on uh, Karnataka. Uh, and Canada TV news media, especially, is the is the yes. sort of primary uh, focus of research. But you, yeah. the report and the researchers do make a lot of connections um, to India, but also um, to the international uh, sort of political uh, environment right now and in the past. Um, so, but the first sort of very basic thing that even I didn't know much about before reading the report was uh, what. Is the legal differences between hate speech and free speech within India currently? So
1: um, one of the things is that uh, there exists no law to uh, in India currently to uh, to regu- which defines hate speech and regulates it accordingly. Now, if you look at the Supreme Court and its um, and the proceedings that's happening with the Sudarshan News case. It's um, uh, it brings into um, it brings into prominence this very uh, fact of um, uh, an anxiety between what is hate speech and if right, by regulating hate speech we're uh, curbing freedom of uh, freedom of expression free press and uh, uh, allied. Uh, uh, aspects. So, um, we, uh, for us, from the collective, it's very clear that hate speech, in fact, affects the uh, affects freedom of expression. It affects free speech, um, and it's in fact um, not an argument uh, that um, that can help with uh, something like a free press. So. For us, hate speech is very clearly one that uh, deval- that devalues um, um, this devalues uh, marginalized communities uh, and targets them um, and um, uh, and um, and delegitimizes their claim for uh, for uh, as as equal citizens. Um, for us, um, it reduces um, in this case. Um, Muslims to second-class citizenship, and um, and most importantly, it also diminishes um, solidarities between communities uh, who existed, coexisted. Uh, for uh, decades and even centuries, so uh, it diminishes what is um, what is an essential part of um, of the constitution, which is fraternity. So it diminishes fraternal bonds. So I think so for us, hate speech is very clearly uh, distinguished from um, from free speech, and hate speech needs to be uh, regulated and uh, and uh, in fact, we urge that um, that uh, that um, the legislature comes comes up with the definition of hate speech.
0: Okay. So, yeah, that makes so that makes me think of so jo- journalists right now, especially I guess, are under the limelight, so to speak, with this whole frenzy that Hindi news media, especially, is having around Rhea Chakrabarti in a very yeah. unexplainable manner that it's unfolding. Uh, But what was especially interesting, and I think what gets lost uh, even in discussions around Hindi news media, and that was really interesting to see in the context of Canada news media, was the patterns of ownership that dictate those decisions, that um, these decisions aren't solely just uh, an organic outgrowth. So if you could elaborate Mm -hmm. a little on specifically the the private ownership, and the, which isn't always differentiable from state ownership in Karnataka, from what I noticed in the report, where a lot of BJP politicians were owning um, media enterprises, um, and how the consolidation of cable news that, that uh, is mentioned in the report, how that happened in Karnataka.
1: So um, it's uh, so, so our report talks about three factors which uh, we believe influences the production of hate speech. Uh, one is uh, ownership. The second is our excessive reliance on advertising, and the third is a caste concentration in newsrooms. Uh, especially in uh, higher uh, levels of decision making within newsrooms. Now, um, and that's that's um, these are three factors that uh, journalists we spoke to have identified uh, for us as uh, three factors that uh, that define how news gets produced in um, in Canada newsrooms. So. Um, uh, like our report talks about uh, uh, like a report talks about it uh, we um, and this uh, patterns of co- concentration um, own, uh, this pa- these um, patterns of concentration of ownership uh, within certain business houses and uh, corporate houses is not um, it's not limited to Kannada media as such, but it's something that one sees in uh, English media. This corporate control and this excessive reliance on advertising uh, basically changes the structure of news. Now, if news is something that's supposed to um, provide uh, provide us with um, with a glimpse into what's happening in the society, it, these two factors. Plus the caste concentration impinges on the ways in which, um, in which what is decided as valuable and um, not valuable gets decided, gets is um, configured in newsrooms. So, um, so uh, these, um, so while so in Canada media, for instance, we've seen that um, there's um, corporate control, but then there are also individual businessmen who are owning. Uh, owning certain uh, news channels, and these uh, businessmen have uh, direct uh, links with the ruling party, and um, and so I think um, it's uh, one can see that very clearly in the kind of news that is produced. For instance, um, in uh, Suvarna News, which is owned by um, by the, uh, by Rajiv Chandrasekhar, the BJP, um, the Rajya Sabha MP from. Uh, uh, from here. And, um, so yeah, so I think, uh, well, that's one of the, those are the three things that we've identified, that uh, business ownership, uh, ownership of, um, of uh, news media outlets by uh, business and corporate houses, the excessive reliance on advertising, which comes from government um, uh, government sources, particularly, but also from political parties, which, and then the caste concentration in newsrooms, particularly of um, a one subcaste uh, of Brahmins called the Havya Caste in Kannada newsrooms, all three of them um, have uh, have uh, impact the way in which news gets uh, covered in um, in Canada and the um, yeah
0: so uh, also what was um, really important i think uh, that the report did was make very direct connections between um Godra 2002 is one um, connection uh, with Delhi that the report makes um, of the Gujarat riots and the role that uh, publications, uh, even pamphlet distribution and production played in inciting um, the Gujarat riots of 2002. And also between uh, the Rwandan genocide and these more sort of global historical examples that we, we can yeah. point to to be able to talk about what's happening today as well within India. Um, and so, sort of one question I had was how, because there were um, incredibly complicated uh protests and riots that took place within Bangalore during the lockdown period itself on how you can sort of, if you can contextualize for the uh, audience watching this, what exactly the role that uh, Canada media played in those um, sort of uh, violent moments in the past few months in Bangalore. Yeah, so um, that's uh, one of the things that I would like to say here is that
1: one of the, uh, a key argument in our report is that um, hate speech uh, is one step in the process towards um, towards some towards a crime t- towards the crime of crimes. This is a crime against humanity, which is genocide. So um, that's um, so what hate speech does uh, is over time normalize hate to such an extent that um, calls for economic and social boycott um, and, and towards the end even call for a genocide becomes not just thinkable but also sayable. So um so one so one way so hate speech becomes important to uh, to address to um, to accept that hate speech exists uh, to address it uh, simply because it's one stage in the way towards uh, towards something like a genocide and um, what we've seen unfold since at least the Tablighi Jamaat uh, cluster uh, reportage is a very direct um, attack against Muslims, and this attack against Muslims in um, in Canada uh, media essentially draws on very on very strong, powerful stereotypes that um, were previously limited to to a Hindu right. Uh, discourse and uh, that world has now become normalized. So, um, if you see the uh, violence against um, the the kind of uh, reportage on the vandalism in in Badra in Puram, and then later now in August um, the uh, the mob violence in DJ Hardy and KG Hardy, Um it Kanada media provides absolutely no context to these these, um, incidents of um, vandalism and uh, mob violence. Uh, It presents them as as something that's inherent to a community and and claims that um, uh, that this uh, community is um, a threat to the nation. Uh, and this is very, and this is outrightly uh, said. They, you, you, if you watch Canada media, they will. It's very common for anchors to presume a Hindu identity and say things like, um, uh, uh, "You know, uh, we Hindus don't." uh don't get agitated when our gods are um, when our gods are abused and uh, and mistreated etc but why so why do these communities get so upset over something that happens on social media so we've seen that from the dablique jama clusters coverage it has become much more uh Accelerated, intensified for Canada, anchors, news anchors in particular, to assume a Hindu identity, to act as if there's Hindu uh, spokespersons and not 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 journalists who are asking difficult questions of the state um, or of um, or of the police, but. Rather that um, you you end up like creating uh, provocative statements about how a community, why is this community repeatedly indulging in violence? Why is this not? Uh, why are they not um, uh, adhering to law, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So, uh, so there seems to be like uh, there seems to be a very clear targeting of a community that's happened.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's also something to be said um, about that one of the purposes that this kind of coverage also serves is to drown the fact that there are uh, Tablighi, Tablighi Jabad members who are still incarcerated for for supposedly yeah. spreading the virus. And so those reports get sort of um, hushed yeah. and no one actually pays attention to the that. And yeah. then it, this becomes the yeah. sort of... Focus of the journal- journalists. Yeah.
1: in fact, I would like to say that um, I, if you notice the kind of coverage of Kannada uh, Media, you after the DJ Hali violence, DJ Hali KJ Hali violence, you will see actually that um, that the initial, uh, the first couple of days is when uh, news channels begin to make a link with um, with terrorist organizations, although there's absolutely no evidence for it. In fact, if you look at news. If you look at the way in which the investigations are going, it seems to be much more a local, localized, um, it's a localized event of violence. So even a fact-finding committee, by uh, fact-finding report by like independent citizens of Bangalore, have said that this is a lo- like localized event of violence. But um, but the way in which they covered uh, the news media covered it, and um, it, they almost seem to be goading the goading the state government to take. Much more severe actions. So one can even assume, one can even argue that this kind of UAPA charges against some of the uh, some of the people who've um, uh, who've been charged with uh, who've been arrested with the DJ Harley violence could possibly be because of the kind of coverage that Canada media has um, has done. And this and the things like I, I'd like to go back to this one point about how I was saying about um, how they they don't seem to provide the context for um, for e- either of the violence in Padraipura, uh it's a lower middle class locality where people um whether the after the tablighi jamaat coverage, um, several uh, um, like it's a predominantly Muslim locality, and um, and again a fact-finding report found that there was severe anxiety in that in in the locality about how um, about how they might be treated in um, in uh, isolation centers in quarantine centers, and how there was a lack of uh, systemic systematic information about what is what is going to happen to people once they. Quarantine once they're isolated. There wasn't even clear information about when they will be taken to uh, to these centers, and so people didn't know what was going to happen. How, how would they manage with their children? How would they manage with um, uh, what would they do with their houses? What about jobs, etc.? So and it was uh, a working class locality which was which had been severely hit by the na- uh, by the lockdown.
0: Yeah, sorry. So, no, as I was saying, it, it, the, while reading, I also realized that there were connections between how um, Kannada media was sort of really insisting on this um, Islamicization of the virus, essentially, uh, with what Sinhala News Media in Sri Lanka was also doing. Um, it seems to be a common and, and really terrifying tactic. Um, but so coming back to the point you made that also brings me to the question of how do you how does the report and how does the collective see uh, the linkages between Canada news media and uh, social media and how, um, how you, the, the research sort of sees social media as a vehicle to amplify this um, hate speech.
1: Uh, so yes our report doesn't exactly look at uh, social media but we're very aware of the of the linkages between uh, social media and uh, the ways in which news media coverage uh, traditional news media covers events so um one of the things that um that happens with uh, that we've noticed during the Tablighi jamaat coverage especially is that um uh, right wing politicians are uh, up tweets um, in on their uh, on their official twitter handles and um, and um, they claim they, they claim, they've claimed uh, corona jihad they have claimed um, they have asked for um, for people who are for tablighi jamaat members who apparently are not coming forward for testing to be shot Uh, that they're anti-national and um, this is uh, and this gets covered in uh, traditional news media particularly in TV channels but also in newspapers as um, as reporters so um, saying that say um, uh, someone like Shubha Karanlaji who called it Corona Jihad um, she get her tweet gets um, gets reported in uh, news media without providing any sort of context to uh, to the uh, to the viewer or the reader, uh, saying that um, this MP has said X Y Z things, um, but uh, is this um, what is this hate speech? Is, is this person known to be making controversial remarks? Has she been pulled up earlier for such remarks? These kind of um, these kind of framing of these very obvious instances of hate speech. Uh, as hate speech or as something that's condemnable, don't appear in news reports. So it seems almost as if um, it's it seems obvious. It seems um, in on first glance like a neutral sort neutral reporting of something that an MP or an MLA has said. But uh, but um, it allows for um, it allows for it to be amplified through the traditional news media in some sense. Uh, for those who are not a uh, part of social media. So um, somebody like somebody will get to know what Shobha Laji has said on what Twitter. And uh, it gets amplified in this direction as well. So uh, without providing context about how it's either, how it's simply something like an adjective, like controversial is also not used. Um, controversial or vivadatmaka These these kind of um, these kind of um, description of this of these tweets are also not mentioned. So um, so yes, um, news media gets is influenced by social media and the virality that's possible on social media. But also happens the other way that in that um, content on um, social media also gets amplified through uh, TV media, which caters to a different uh, set of audiences, especially the kanban media.
0: Right, and it seems almost as if both the platforms are sort of using each other to produce hate speech as if it is proof, as if it's yes. fact, um, which, is, yes. which seems yeah. um, seems more yeah. coordinated than, again, just like sort of um, yeah. organic. Um, so yeah. uh, any, any ways, any substantial material ways in which people can combat the, the sort of growing... Um, Formalization um, and lack of accountability when it comes to hate speech in uh, journalism.
1: So um, we think that um, we think that a free, we agree that free press is um, is essential to a democracy. We also believe that dissent is uh, is is essential to a democracy and informed citizenry is what makes both of these things possible so our campaign works uh, campaign works towards this um towards this towards awareness dissemination of uh, of of facts of uh, legal facts of um of journalistic facts um so uh, so in in order to be able to in order to be able to contribute towards the creation of an informed citizenry and uh, we so if you look at our recommendations in the report we um we've called um drawing from journalists um, from senior journalists respected journalists um, who've all uh, said that an independent media is the, in an independent media is the answer for um, uh, for the way in which media should uh, media should go. We also we also recommended that we figure out that um, civil society groups that individuals contribute and help towards the, um, towards independent press and um and uh, and we also believe that uh, civil society groups must come together and there are several groups across the country working towards uh, combating hate speech uh, towards holding uh, self regulatory bodies such as the pci and nbsa accountable to um, to this to the kind of um, coverage that happens in uh, in news media so um, as part of the campaign we we'll we we'll want to amplify and be involved in such kind of efforts to um, ask the media to be responsible to uh, stick to journalistic principles and ethics and to provide uh, to provide a commentary on um, on uh, when, when when something is hate speech and when something is vilification um, it's not uh, we don't we 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 don't want um, we don't want some, some we don't want hate speech to be passed off as simply neutral objective reporting of facts but um facts when when hate speech happens you need to provide the perspective that this is hate speech and we believe that um, that media uh, media houses really need to introspect about uh, about what is passing off as news and we believe that they need to account for um, they need to come with guidelines on how they will report on social media um, social media coverage, social media content which, which, is, which can be hate speech. Um, and, but most importantly, we also believe that um, that uh, marginalized targeted uh, and uh, minorities in particular need to find space you know, within newsrooms. Um, within self-regulatory bodies, within, uh, within state uh, monitoring uh, committees, uh, and um, these uh, these um, these constituents uh, of uh, these constituents need to be um, need to be present in all of these uh, forums, and um, to be and to to, uh, to lead in some sense the um, the demand for uh, an ethical journalism.
0: Thank you so much Swati for, Thanks so for, much. Yeah, for doing this interview and for I think just the work that the group is doing is in extremely important and timely
1: Thank you for getting in touch and for helping amplify the